Good morning again. Good morning. I'm really happy because I feel like I am going to get to sing a song that the Lord has written on my heart this morning. So we're going to talk about another prophet, a man whom the scripture says um, God spoke with face to face as one speaks with a friend. But before we do that, I, I want to take up this topic, this general topic of friendship again. And I want to ask you a real question. This is not a rhetorical question. I mean, I want you to think about it for a moment. What do you value most in friendship? Just think about it for a moment. What do you really want in a friend? Okay, some answers. Just shout them out. What do you love about... Unconditional acceptance. Okay, acceptance. Honesty. Honesty. Availability. Availability. Trust. Trust. Loyalty. Loyalty. Compassion. Compassion. Enjoyment of each other. Enjoyment of each other. I like that one. Patience. Birthday cards. (laughs) (laughs) all right for me what I love most about my closest friends is knowing them I I love knowing their stories knowing their thoughts their feelings their hopes their desires and I love being known I love people as Betsy said who desire to be with me enough to know my story to know my history to know my pains, my, my weaknesses, and, and more than that, to know me not just as I am, but to know me as I want to be, as I hope to be, to know me with eyes of faith. Now, here is a wonder that is mysterious and true. God also desires to be known and to be loved as he is. He loves us to know his story. He loves us to spend time with him, to get to know him as he is and not as we imagine him to be, not as philosophers describe him. And I think that's hard for us to believe and to understand because we think we cannot know God because of his transcendence. And certainly we cannot know all there is to know about God. His being is profoundly different than our own. He exists beyond time without beginning or end. He is holy. He is a spirit. He is powerful beyond all our comprehension. All this is true. But it's also true that God is love, right? And the nature of love is that it gives of oneself. It was in God's desire to share love that he created us in his image. Love desires to be returned. In order for love to go, it must be received, pursued, contemplated, reciprocated in some way. This is what love desires. Love is active. Love is vulnerable. Love pursues its object. The Father pursued us by sending his Son. Jesus pursued us by giving his life. The Holy Spirit pursues us by speaking truth to our hearts, by bearing witness to Jesus, by convicting us to sin. The Holy Spirit is constantly pursuing us. 
And if we take time to meditate on the pursuit of God, our hearts should burn with love. And in the same way, God's heart burns when we pursue him. When he becomes the object of our thoughts, when he becomes the object of our desires, when we spend every moment thinking about him, longing for him, that makes his heart burn. He will disclose himself to those who seek him. Jesus promised, seek and you will find. He will. The wonderful thing about God as a friend is he always makes the first move. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He loved us and desired us before the foundation of the world, knowing fully well what that would cost him. I believe that's what it means. Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. He knew what it would cost. But he's pursued us ever since, calling us gently in stages, as much as we can receive, as much as we can handle at a time, as much as we respond and reciprocate. This progressive revelation is a pattern we see in Moses' life. The midwives who delivered Moses saw he was a beautiful child. I believe the Lord's protection was on him. His mother saw he was a special child, and she hid him at risk of her life for three months. Pharaoh's daughter saw this is a special child. But Moses' life was not easy. Most of his life he wondered like Abraham. And I believe in his wondering, the Lord was shaping his character. Something was being formed in him, though he didn't know it. I think it was largely humility, which was going to be crucial. So Moses knew the weight of killing a man. He was an outcast from his own people. He was an outcast from the Egyptians. And he spent most of his adult life herding sheep um, for his father-in-law in the desert but never, ever out of God's sight. And one day, God spoke to him. Spoke to him very gently, just aroused Moses' curiosity, right? There's a bush burning over there, but it's not consumed. I think I'll go check it out, right? It was gentle. It was a gentle call. But Moses gets close, and the Lord speaks to him, and he gets his first lesson in friendship with God. First lesson in friendship with God is reverence. Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. We have to start there. If we want to be friends with God, we start with our face on the ground. That's when you start being a friend of God, is with your face on the ground. The Lord spoke to Moses. He said, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've seen the suffering of my people, and I've chosen you to go and deliver them. That's a lot, right? That's a lot of information in two sentences. Um, we see this beautiful interaction. So Moses, Moses is on his face, on the ground, wondering what has hit him, Right? But like Abraham, I think his heart is burning. His heart is burning, and he loves this voice. And he engages this voice. He says, who are you, essentially? What is your name? And who shall I tell the people have sent me? 
So the Lord gives Moses the name he should use and a name that God said would be a memorial name for generations to come. I am who I am. Tell the people I am sent you, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This name, this name just sends shockwaves to me. It is transcendent and intimate at the same time. I am the God who exists without reason, without cause. The God who is the source of all life decides to call himself by the names of his friends. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that is beautiful. He writes his names on our, our names on his heart. That's how he's known. So Moses went as he was instructed, but once again, even though he's on his face, he's negotiating with God. I can't do this. I need a helper. So God gives him Aaron. God gives him his staff. And in that staff, he entrusts his power to a man, Moses. So Moses goes to Israel. You know the story. And he sees the Lord brings plagues upon Egypt. Plagues which afflicted Egypt, but not the Israelites. Plagues which were terrible and awesome. Moses saw the angel of death come and sweep through the land of Egypt. And then he saw the Lord, the Lord fulfill his word. The Israelites, 600,000 men plus their wives and children, all marched out of Egypt on one night, not one of them sick and all of them wearing gold jewelry and the finest clothes of their neighbors. They plundered the Egyptians without a fight. The Lord led them gently. The shortest way to the promised land was through the lands of the Philistines, but he said, these people are slaves. They're not used to fighting. I'm not gonna take them that way. So he took them by way of the sea, knowing full well what was going to happen. He took them there because he wanted to reveal his love his power, his favor. So he led Israel to the edge of the Red Sea under the light of a full moon that camped. And they were resting there. As I said, it was a full moon. It was rising over the Red Sea. And they heard, they heard Pharaoh's armies coming. The pillar of fire, which had been eating them, moved from their front to their rear in between the people of Israel and the Pharaoh's army. And the Bible says, and the Lord glanced from the, from the pillar of fire and terrified the Egyptians. I don't know if you can, can fully comprehend the, the visual awesomeness of this scene. You've got a full moon. You've got the full moon um, reflecting off the waves. You've got an army of chariots coming. You've got a pillar of fire, and that pillar of fire is burning, and it's glancing off the chariots and off the waves and off the people's jewelry. And the Lord tells Moses to take a staff and put it in the water, and the wind starts blowing, and the wind blows all night long stacking up the sea in a way the world has ever seen. You've got more than a million people that are not sleeping that night. No one slept that night. 
And there has never been anything on this earth as beautiful as what happened that night. It was awesome. It was a show of light and power and wind, and it was awesome. And the Lord was was revealing himself to his people, saying, you are my people. I'm fighting for you. I'm claiming you as a bride. And that's why they were decked out. You know, they were not decked out so that they could build a temple. It was their wedding night. It was their wedding night. And that's what makes what happens next so, so tragic. They cross through the Red Sea. And for a while, they sing. They sing the Lord's song. I will sing unto the Lord. That's actually not what it says. We'll get back to what it really says in a little bit. Ah, for he has triumphed mightily, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. They rejoice in their God. Now, if you think of the parting of the Red Sea and the Exodus as as like a wedding, because this is, the Lord's very clear in the ultimate things that I chose you as a bride. If you think of that as a wedding, he he had more in mind for them than simple deliverance. He wanted a people that would bear his name bear his character and so his intention was to give them the law if you think of that it's like their their marriage vows and so they cross over they rejoice and the lord says come moses come to me you and 70 70 elders of israel come up to me on the mountain and the language is astounding it says the 70 elders of israel went and they saw God seated on a throne like sapphire. And it says they ate and they drank with God. I, I don't know what that is like. <laughs> they ate and they drank with God. They saw God somehow or another. And then, and then the Lord says, Moses, I want you. You send the elders down. Send everyone down. I want you alone. Come up higher. So Moses goes up into the thunder smoke fire and doesn't come back for 40 days and in those 40 days the people of Israel get antsy and they get nervous and they ask Aaron uh, this Moses person must be dead because it's scary up there there's a bunch of fire and lightning I don't see how anyone can survive that and we're stuck over here Um, let's make Let's make a God for ourselves to worship. And, and you know what happened. And this is a tragedy, I think, is they took, they took this jewelry and they made a calf and worshipped it. And the Lord's anger burned. Now, honestly, the logic of this, I, I, can't, I can't imagine. I think that I would think that Israel would fear the Lord even if they didn't trust him yet. But... Um, What's so beautiful to me about this is, of course, the Lord knows what's going on. But the, the, the scripture says, during that time, he communed with Moses for 40 days and 40 nights. Commune is such a beautiful word. It's a reciprocal word, back and forth. And Moses didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't drink anything. He lived sustained on the presence of the Lord. But when it was over, he says, go back down because your people have sinned. And Moses goes back down, and the Lord is angry. He says, stand aside, and I will wipe them all out, and I will start with you a new nation, and I'll make you an angry. 
But here's the beautiful thing. In, those, in this time that, that Moses has come to know the Lord, Moses no longer desires a name for himself. He says, no, he's jealous for the Lord's name. He says, Lord, you cannot do this. Don't do this. What will people say about you? So the Lord relents. I'm way off my notes. <laughs> the Lord relents. And he says, okay, okay, I will send you and I'll send the people into the promised land, as I said, and I will drive out the Canaanites and I'll do everything that I said, but I'm not going to go with you because this is a stiff-necked people and I might get angry at them. And Moses says, no, I'm not going unless you go. And the Lord's heart was moved by his friend. And he said, okay, because I know your name, I'll go with you. But Moses wasn't done. He said, I, I, I want something else. There's something else I want. And he says, what is it? And the man who had seen the Red Sea part and seen the plagues of Egypt, and the man who had just communed with God for 40 days, says, I want to see your glory. Can you imagine that? He was not satisfied. He was not satisfied. He knew there was more to God. And I, I can't imagine that there was anything that any person on earth that could have, said, could have said to God at that moment that would have moved his heart, I want to see your glory. Because Israel had been terrified. Israel was terrified of his glory. He said, don't speak to us again like that. Send Moses. We, can't, we don't want to look at you. It's too scary. But Moses, you know, make no mistake, Moses was more afraid of God than anyone. He had the fear of the Lord. But he wanted more. He said, I want to see you. I, I want to see your glory. And the Lord responds immediately. He says, because I know your name, I will grant this request. I think that a fascinating response. I know your name. Of course, the Lord knew Moses' name, right? He calls Moses by his name at the burning bush. He knew Abraham by name. He knows all of us by name. But names are precious to the Lord in a way I don't think we understand. They're significant. In Ephesians, Paul says, he, he has this phrase, from whom every family on earth derives its name. Yesterday, we talked about the rewards Jesus promises to those who overcome. Three of those rewards involve names. A new name for you, the new name of Jesus written on you, and the name of the Father written on you. And this passage in Exodus gives us insight into what a mind-blowing promise that is. So when he says to Moses, I know your name, what I think he's saying is, I know who you are. I know your humility. I know your desires. I know you. And yes, I will let you know me. God speaking his name was a greater glory than any of the miracles he has worked, had worked. Because his name, his name is his character. His name is who he is. It's not anything that he's done. It is intimately tied to who he is. The name is holy. 
And this is why our Jewish brothers and sisters treat the name with such reverence. They won't even refuse to, to speak the name of God. I believe we need to learn this reverence for the name of God. We will not become friends of God until we fear him like Moses did. But I also believe God really, really longs for us to know this name and to have it written on our hearts. I believe we've lost something important in translation by substituting the word Lord for the personal name of God because it significantly changes the way we hear scripture. So you understand what I'm saying when I say the personal name of God. I'm talking about the name Yahweh. And and this is used before the section in in Exodus that we're talking about. Um, Yahweh is the personal name of God. And in your, and Danny can give us a lesson on how this came to be, but in almost all of the English translations you read, when you see the word Lord in all capital letters, that word means Yahweh. It's Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. There is another word that means Lord, which is also used in Hebrew scriptures, Adonai. And I just want to ask you, which one do you think is used more often? Yahweh or Adonai? So if you're in the, if, if you think, if you think it's Adonai, raise your hand. It's a tough question. It's a tough question. I was definitely in the Adonai camp because I hear Lord all the time. Okay. Okay. Who's in the Yahweh camp? Okay. Let me. Let's just. Start. Who wants to give a guess at the ratio of how many times Yahweh appears as opposed to Adonai? Okay, ten to one. Would you put up the real number? Yes, it is shocking. It is shocking. Almost every scripture you have memorized, you have memorized wrong, in a sense. Not, not that it's wrong, but it, the scripture does not say the Lord is my shepherd. It says Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. What is the song we sing? I mean, the steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. Have mercy on Bless Yahweh, all my soul. Forget none of his benefits. That's a psalm about the name of God. Lord is a positional title. When we use the word Lord to refer to God, we relate to him as a servant relates to his master, and this is entirely right and fitting, and this is where we begin. But when God reveals his name to Moses and to us, he reveals something tender, something personal. And I believe he really wants us to understand that. The Psalms sound different. Scriptures sound different. If you understand the name, if you understand Mount Zion. So we're going to read what the Lord spoke to Moses. The revelation, a full revelation of his name. But I want us to stand to do it. Lord passed by Moses, he put his hand over him because he could not bear to see him in his full glory in this body. So he put his hand over him, passed by, and said, Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love and kindness and truth, who keeps love and kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. 
yet you will by no means leave guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Bless the name of the Lord. You can be seated. I want us to, to contemplate for a moment how much time Yahweh devotes to his mercy. He is Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and in truth. And in this particular setting, the word truth means one who keeps his word. It means faithfulness. That's the kind of truth. He keeps loving kindness to thousands. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Mercy is central to God's character. It is who he is. He is mercy. It is core in his being. And yet this mercy, this forgiveness, is something that I believe men experience differently than angelic beings. And I believe it's one of the reasons, one of the ways we manifest the glory of God in a way that's different from the angels. The angels, knowing God's glory, some of them choose to rebel, some of them did not. And as far as we can tell from scripture, there is no repentance for that kind of rebellion, or for the angelic rebellion that was taken, undertaken face to face. We don't see that. But we do know this, our eyes are dimmed. We don't see God in his glory. Yet we trust him and we follow him and we sin and we repent and he forgives us. And that, is, that manifests the wisdom of God. Our repentance and his mercy manifests the wisdom of God in a way that's, that delights him. He delights to show us his mercy. You know, Paul, Paul understood this. He got this. Paul, Paul knows the name of God. And he understands that Jesus has come to manifest the name. So I want to read this passage from Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us. Uh, the, sal- the salvation of Jesus Christ is a manifestation of the Father's character. It shows who he is. Now I'm going to tell you a personal story that I don't tell very often about an encounter I had with the Father and his name. About three years ago, I went on an unstructured, unplanned retreat with my dear friend Caroline, who was Philip's wife. We went to the Texas coast, which is about a four-hour drive from our house, and on the way we talked, and we just talked about the goodness of God and how faithful he had been in our lives and the things he had spoken to us. And as we neared, we neared our house, the beach house, I just started thinking about to my late high school and early college years, which were a shameful time. I loved the Lord at that time, but I was caught in sins which I could not break out of. And to use the words of Paul, I hated the things I did. I was miserable. I was miserable at that time. And Jesus was faithful, and he freed me 
and I hadn't really thought about this in years, and I was happy and everything was good, but as we went to the beach, there was just this sorrow that arose in my heart over those years, just something unhealed and sad. And um, I went to bed that night just hoping, I'll just get a good night's sleep and it'll be gone, and I'll wake up feeling more like myself tomorrow. I fell asleep quickly, but the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night, and I just like, boom, wide awake, and I could feel... I could feel the Holy Spirit washing over me like in tingly electric waves. I was like, okay, here I am. I feel you, Lord. And I could hear, I could hear the Father ask in my head, Amy, how do you feel? I was like, oh, Lord, I love your presence. You know I love your presence. And you're being really kind to me. And this is really, really lovely. And I'm still sad. <laughs> and so I fell back asleep. Another hour, boom, I was awake again. I still had the tingling. Holy Spirit says, Amy, how do you feel? <laughs> Lord, what can I say? Your presence is sweet. You're really, really way too nice to me. But how do you feel? Lord, I'm still sad. And he said, you know, Amy, I've been wanting to ask you that for a long time, but you wouldn't give me an honest answer. Okay, I know you're right. <laughs> but here I am. So the night went on like that. I didn't get a lot of sleep. And the next morning, Caroline asked, So, how did you sleep? I said, Well, <laughs> the Lord was really, really nice to me. But I'm still sad. <laughs> um, and Caroline looked at me, as she sometimes does, and said, The Lord wants to bring this to completion. She said, you need to ask him what he wants to do. I said, okay. <laughs> so I sat there on the couch, and I said, what do you want to do, Lord? And I, and I heard him very quietly and very gently say, I want you to lift your face and look at me. Okay. <laughs> I told Caroline. I think this is what the Lord said. She said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Um, but I just sat there and I closed my eyes I said okay Lord show me what you want to show me because I know I can't see your face I know that if I see you the way you really are I'll die I understand that I know this is not I'm not going to see you as you are but show me what you want to show me and I rather expected a grandfatherly kind of face to say oh Amy I love you you know you're okay not what I saw. Close my eyes and boom! I saw a pillar of fire <laughs> with eyes. I was like shocked. This was not comforting. This was not, not what I was expecting. And I just watched in fascination as I saw this fire. And then I told Caroline, this is not a human face. And I watched, I watched this burning fire and I could feel this, this jealous burning love. And then the flames died down. They were, they were red and yellow and very active and like whirlwinds of fire. And then everything got very still and they, they calmed down into this amber glow. And, and I cannot tell you exactly, I cannot express what I saw or felt 
But what I felt was this great longing of God to be loved, to be known. It was the most tender thing I've ever seen, and my heart just like, oh, I know I am tiny. I know I'm a tiny, tiny little person, but I want to give you everything I have because I think you really want me to love you. And that was shocking. I mean, I, I know God wants me to love it. I can't express. He desired my love. It was meaningful to him. I, he was vulnerable. Then the color changed to a dark indigo blue like the night sky, and I saw these glorious flashes of light and stars and spinning, and I could like see his hands with, with planets and stars spinning in his hands. And it was it was gorgeous. And I knew God was revealing himself as creator, but the funny thing is, I did not feel that overwhelming power. What I felt was the tenderness of a young man. Like holding it out. Do you like it? Like, like he was showing me his creation, like wooing, wooing a bride. And I said, oh, yes, Lord, I love it. It is gorgeous. And this was the longest part of my vision. It was a light show. It was just this light show in the heavens. And after a while, that resolved into complete stillness. And I saw a rainbow. And I knew it was the rainbow around the throne of God. And just intuitively, I understood the colors were the attributes of God in perfect order. His forgiveness, his righteousness, his mercy, grace, his compassion, his giving of life, his holiness, oh, his, um, his healing, his, his brightness. All of the attributes of God were there. And then suddenly I saw the face of Jesus just grinning from ear to ear. And he said, was that fun? <laughs> I said, oh, was that fun? <laughs> that was amazing. And, and I could feel his joy because though I know I saw just the tiniest, tiniest glimpse of God's glory, I know he was so excited because he knows the Father's glory. And the Son longs to show us the Father's glory. And he was so excited. I didn't write this in. I'll tell you the follow-up. As, as Jesus was grinning and the, the vision was fading, I heard the Father's voice one more time. He said, I didn't show you the earth tones. Come back for the earth tones. <laughs> <laughs> so sometime later on the retreat, I was sitting there, and I just saw, I saw the Father's hands, and he was digging in the dirt. And, you know, it was brown clay. And it was not nearly as exciting as the light show I saw. And he said to me, Amy, that's what you're made of. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then he said the sweetest thing. He said, but it's okay, because that's what Jesus is made of. And I just lost it. <laughs> it was so beautiful. Amy, why did you come back? You should have just stayed there. <laughs> oh, believe me, I was tempted. <laughs> Okay, but I did go back. I went back, I came home. I came home, I was a mess. I think Caroline was a mess too. I cried for like three days. You would not talk. <laughs> what? Did you have a good time? <laughs> <laughs> you see, I, I, I somehow thought when, when God says you, you invited me to look at him, 
you know, what touched me so much about that weekend was the way he went in from my story to his story, my story to his story. What, what healed my shame was not him speaking about me. What healed my shame was him inviting me to look at him. It just that he wanted my love. It, like that was that was enough. It just I, I've never I've never wrestled with that since. It was it was amazing. So on that trip, I encountered God in a way I did not expect, and I had I had this glorious experience of His mercy, His grace, His compassion, His power. But I don't think I was ready on that trip to deal with the last part of His name, His judgment. I don't think that we're ready to really understand that until we are well-versed in his mercy, grace, and compassion. But I did go back. I did go back a year and a half later. And, and then I encountered God again in a different way. And I, found, I saw the glory of his judgment. I went with Caroline again to Galveston. And we were... Um, I was preparing for Wittenberg, and so I was reading John chapter 2 as a text, and suddenly it became alive to me. I could see it like in living color. Do we have the text for that? No, this, this is a, a combined text from John and Matthew, and because they both they mention different things which are both important. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the money changers' temples and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house is eaten me up. Okay, keep going. This is the same part. Keep going to the next slide. Keep going to the next slide. Now, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? So I want, I want to set the scene. This cleansing of the temple was not, um, not a moment of passion. It was planned. He made the whip. That takes some time. Having said it was not a moment of passion, it was, it was executed in passion. Passion and zeal for the Father's name. But what I saw so beautifully is that Jesus, you know, Jesus was on fire. He was on fire for zeal for the Father's name. There were hundreds of people in that temple, but not one of them touched him. He came through with his whip and he drove people out and no one dares to touch him. And then he stood in the middle of the court there with his whip in his hand. And the blind and the lame and the children went back to him. And that is what the whip was for. It was to drive out the people that were keeping away the blind and the lame. 
His judgment was executed so that he could bring the children. Brothers and sisters, the judgment of the father is not upon the children. The whip makes room for the blind and the lame to come and to be healed. It makes room for the little ones to come. The whip is for the oppressors. Now, sometimes the oppressor in our life is sin. And the Lord will take aim against that. He will. He will take aim at any stray affection of our hearts. But he does not do this to harm us. He does this to heal us. And I feel like one of the things he wants to tell you today, he wants to make clear about his father's love, is that he will vindicate his children. He will judge on behalf of his children. It is part of who he is. It is as much a part of who he is as his mercy, grace, and compassion. It cannot be separated. He loves his children, and he will wipe away their tears, and he will punish their oppressors. And I believe... I believe he really wants to speak that to some of you today, saying he's seen your pain and he has seen what the enemy has done and it will be made right. It will. So I want to pray a prayer over us today and Philip is going to come and end with a song about the Father's love. So Yahweh, Yahweh, God, Merciful, gracious, compassionate, righteous, true. I pray that you would give us a revelation of your name. I pray that you would write it on our hearts. I thank you, Lord, for loving us. I thank you, Lord, for desiring us. I thank you, Lord, for desiring to reveal yourself to us. And so I pray that you would continue to speak to us today and through the rest of our lives. Amen. Every stone that makes you stumble and cuts you when you fall. Every serpent here who strikes your heel to curse you when you crawl. The king of love will one day crush them all. And every sad seduction and every clever lie. Every word that whirls and woos the pilgrim children of the sky. The king of love will break them by and by. And you will rise up in the end. You will rise up in the end. I know the night is cruel. Day is coming soon when you will rise up in the end. If a thief had come to plunder when the children were alone, if he ravaged every daughter and murdered sons at home. Would not the Father see this? Would not his anger burn? Will he not repay the tyrants in the day of his return? Await, await the day of his return. 
Cause he will rise up in the end He will rise up in the end I know you need a savior But he is patient in his anger And he will rise up in the end And when the stars come crashing to the sea the high and mighty fall down on their knees When you see the sun descending in the sky The chains of death will fall around your feet And you will rise up in the end You will rise up in the end Yeah.